Hey, Mountain. It's, uh, it's good to be together. Happy belated Turkey Day to you. I uh, hope you had a good time gathering with some folks. And I love this time of year. We, uh, we kind of pause and we reflect, right? A lot of people gather together and they tell stories of what's happened over the past year. That's kind of what we've been doing in this series called Unleash Love. We've been recapping what's been going on the past two years as we've been in this initiative together called Unleash Love. And it, it comes to a culmination uh, at the end of December, and we've been just taking some time to sort of gear up uh, for the end of the year and get excited about what God's been doing. And I want to start by just telling a little story. Back when we first started Unleash Love, something happened in my family uh, that I thought was a really remarkable moment. Uh, my family and I, we were in constant friendship, heading home, and as we were coming up on the corner there, there was a, a homeless man uh, sitting there on the side of the road, and he had a sign that said, uh, hungry, God bless, right? Uh, and we've seen these signs before, and, and I don't know if it was kind of the newness of Unleashed Love or the spirit prompting, or maybe they're, they're one and the same, right? I felt just this need to do something for the man, so we, we spun our minivan around, went back, got some holy chicken from Chick-fil-A, um, we pulled back up, and I rolled down my window, hey, hey man, come here for a second. And he walks over, and, and I take uh, the bag, and I give it to him, and say, God bless you, I hope this is what you need today, and he kind of puts his head down and walks away. I don't know if it was shame or disappointment that he didn't get something different, like money, and I immediately started to question, like, oh, is that, was, that, was that the right thing? Like, is that what he needed to do the right thing? Or did he just want money and maybe this was a waste? And, and as I started to question my motives, all of a sudden in the back seat, my little eight-year-old boy, Isaac, kind of pokes his head up. And he goes, hey, Dad. Yeah, son, I got a question. Did we just unleash love to that guy? And it struck me as, oh, yeah, we did. I'm sitting here questioning my motive, like, is this the right thing to do or isn't it? And it took my eight-year-old son speaking up and saying, hey, Dad, I think we just did something good for God. Like, I think he experienced God because of something we did. And just then, like, it hit me, okay, this unleashed love thing, it's a way of life, right? And I start to think that my son is getting it. And fast forward to later that night, and he pulls his sister's hair. And I say, hey, son, go to your room. And as he's stomping up the steps, he turns around. Dad, this is not how you unleash love, right? And he, he takes off up to his room. Uh, but don't worry, it comes full circle, right? A couple weeks go by, and, and this idea of unleashed love has just kind of been instilled in my son. We have a great kids ministry around here, and they, they did some good work just teaching, hey, this is what people who love Jesus do. They unleash love. And he would start to say, hey, I've got an idea how I can unleash love at school to my teacher. Or dad, could, like Christmas time, can we bake cookies and unleash love to our neighbor? Like all these simple little gestures that he started to offer. And it made me realize something. Like he got it. He instinctively knew something that it took me a minute to get, and that's the fact that the idea of being a Christ follower, it's not contained to an initiative called Unleash Love. Now it goes well beyond that. As Christ followers, we are called to unleash the love of God each and every single day. And so while we're talking about the culmination of Unleash Love here at the end of December, we're also saying, like, we ain't done yet. God's not done yet. He's not done using his church yet. There is much more in store for what God wants to do in the kingdom of God, right? It doesn't run out. The cup doesn't run dry. And so while we're celebrating some stuff and kind of looking at this end date, we're also saying, hey, let's take the noun, the initiative that is Unleashed Love, and let's, like Isaac kind of instinctively knows, right, let's, let's turn it into a verb, something that's going to last well beyond the end of 2018. It's one of the reasons we had these t-shirts made. Uh, some generous mountain people were like, hey, we want to make sure everybody knows that they're in the game. So next weekend, you've heard this before, if you're here at one of our services, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday night at Abingdon, you're going to get a free t-shirt. Bring somebody with you, first grade and up, okay? It's like if you watch the NBA playoffs, there's always this, like, 
pivotal moment in the series where they lay shirts out and everybody gets one. So everybody feels like they're a part of the action. Everybody's in the game. We kind of feel like that, that's the moment we're in as a church. This is a pivotal point in the series that is Mountain Christian Church. It just so happens we're 200 years in, right? And God's got 200 more years. And so everyone's going to get a shirt. We're going to be in the game. We're going we're to keep unleashing love. And we're going to celebrate the noun, the initiative, the thing we've been doing over the past couple years. We're also going to set our eyes on what God has in store still for his church here at Mountain. Let's finish strong, but let's know that this thing, this idea of unleashed love, it's baked into the very DNA of who we are as Christ followers. And so the question that we've been asking, I want to ask you one more time today, how is God calling you to unleash love? Really let that question sink in. How is God calling you to unleash love? And if you're willing to ask the question, and through this series, through your own study, through your small group, if you're willing to listen to God's response, my guess is you're going to feel activated to go and do something. If you weren't here the past two weeks, you should hop online and catch up. We've basically been working through the book of Acts saying, here's the deal. Like when God showed up, he unleashed his love through Jesus. And we come to this point where Jesus says, you know, I came and I, I loved sinners. I loved the worst of the worst. I ate with sinners. I cared for those who were broken. I, I, I sat and spent time with those who no one else would sit and spend time with. And Jesus came and he unleashed his love. He showed us the perfect example of how a Christ follower is to live. And then he died. The ultimate example of love. Jesus on the cross, but then into the grave and we know resurrected again. And you think about Jesus' disciples. They're following him on this journey, right? And all of a sudden, Jesus dies, and he comes back. And they got to be thinking, like, oh, man, we thought, like, the work was done. You left, and then you returned. And we're excited to follow you again, Jesus. And shortly after Jesus' resurrection, he's with his disciples, and he kind of flips the script on them. And here's what he says in Acts chapter 1. He says, but you, he's not saying, like, hey, follow me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You are going to go and unleash love in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Now think for just a moment how the disciples must have felt. Like Jesus is back. We get to do this. We're going to watch him preach and teach and do miracles, all that stuff again. But then Jesus says, whoa, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. It's your turn. It's your turn. And just a second later, Scripture says that he was taken up before their very eyes. And you can kind of picture the disciples. Jesus says this, and then he starts to ascend to heaven, and you just kind of follow their gaze. And they're standing there watching as Jesus is taken into heaven. When all of a sudden, two men wearing white appear next to them, and they say this. Men of Galilee, they say, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven. Well, don't worry. He's going to come back in the same way that you've seen him go. And here they are, standing and looking up into the sky, their posture pointed upwards. And when these two men come, they say, you, you heard him, right? He said, I came. I'm going to come back. And that time in between, well, I want you to go unleash some love. I want you to take the gospel here, there, and everywhere. Like, go get to work. You've got work to do. So why are you standing there looking up into the sky? For a lot of us, it's probably a question we need to wrestle with. How many of us, most of our posture is just spent like this? 
when Jesus is saying, it's time to get to work. And the disciples, they turn around and they get to work. And on that day, God's church was born. And when God's church was born, God's love exploded in this world. And we see the beginning of the church here, there, and to the ends of the earth everywhere. In Acts 1 through 8, the church is alive and well here. In Acts 9 through 12, we see it go there. And then in Acts 13, we see the church, the gospel, being taken to the ends of the earth everywhere. And it begins with the recent decision of this guy named Paul to follow Christ. You see, you got to know a little bit about Paul here. Paul uh, was the guy who, who felt like his job was actually to stop the Christian movement. He would persecute, he would kill, he would put in jail anyone who claimed to be a Christ follower. His job, as he knew it and saw it, was to do anything and everything he could to halt the movement that is the church, the gospel spreading, until he meets Jesus. And there's this beautiful moment in Acts chapter 9 when Paul has this experience where he sees Jesus. He encounters Jesus, and it radically changes his life. His eyes were literally opened to who Jesus is and the love that Jesus had for him and the love that Jesus wanted him to show to other people. And it changed his perspective forever, for, for all time. Paul, once a persecutor of Christians, experiences Jesus, his perspective is changed, and now he is on mission. And scripture actually says, from that point on, he began to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. People are a little shocked. Like, hang on, is that, like, Paul? Are we sure we're talking about the same Paul? Like, that guy? He's preaching? And he starts to preach and teach, and people start to turn towards Jesus. And then he makes his way down to Jerusalem, and he sees the disciples there, and they're a little scared of him. They're like, hey, whoa, we know about this guy. We've heard the rumors. Is this a trick? What's he trying to do, right? But Barnabas says, you know what, I'll, I'll take a chance. And he welcomes Paul in, and he realizes, oh, man, he, he's the real deal. And together they begin to preach and to teach. And Barnabas and Paul, they eventually make their way to the church in Antioch. And they kind of settle down there for a while, and they do some good work. They're preaching, they're teaching, they're doing the thing that that brings the gospel here and there. But there comes this point in Acts chapter 13 where we see this this important moment where the gospel is taken everywhere. We love the church in Antioch. We talk about the church in Antioch often because the church in Antioch is a sending church. It's who we want to be as a church at Mountain. We want to be the sort of church that says, you know what, Uh, we will preach and we will teach. And when God says go, we will go. And we see this happen in Acts 13. And here's what it says. It says, while they were there worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Paul for the work to which I have called them. And so after they had fasted and prayed, they placed hands on them and they sent them off. There's this distinct moment when the Spirit calls It says, Paul, Barnabas, go unleash love everywhere. And without hesitation, they listen. 
Now, check out the irony in this, right? This is how God works. Only God works this way. Remember what Paul was doing a few chapters earlier in Acts? His job was to stop the Christian movement. Whatever it took, he was going to halt it. He was killing, he was persecuting, he was locking up Christians saying, no, 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 this thing will not move forward. But now he's experienced Jesus. His perspective has changed. The people he once hated, he now has compassion and love for. And God chose to use the very same person who was trying to stop the Christian movement to go everywhere and advance it, to take it to all of the earth. Only God works that way. And so Paul, well, he does that. And he starts the first of three missionary journeys. I actually have this, this map here that might be helpful for you. This, this little glimpse of Paul's journey, okay? It's a little confusing, right? There's some roads here and some places that he goes. You can see the first missionary journey, this dotted line. He starts over here in Antioch, and he takes off to Cyprus and then up to Pisidian, Antioch, and then over to Iconium and all, all around until eventually he ends back up at Antioch, okay? He kind of does this full circle. It takes a couple of years. He's on this journey, equivalent about 1,500 miles, now, keep in mind, right, they didn't have modern, trans ancient transportation. Like, we think of planes, trains, and automobiles as more like uh, walking wagons and wooden ships for him, right? Like, 1,500 miles. That's, hey, Mountain, do me a favor. Walk to St. Louis. And along the way, stop and preach the news and the gospel and then walk on home, okay? That's a long way. That's Paul's first missionary journey. He ends back at Antioch. He takes a minute. He celebrates some of what God's been doing through his journey. He handles some business there going on in the church. And then he does it again. His second missionary journey, he takes off from Antioch again. He goes up and around, all the way around, until eventually he ends back up at Antioch again. This time about 3,000 miles. Okay, you ready? Let's walk to Denver and back. He settles for a moment, and then he takes off for his third missionary journey. The really small dotted line here. And he makes his way all the way around and then back up around in this confusing circle. He goes in about 3,300 miles in about four years, okay? It's like go to Denver and then just a little bit past it and then all the way home. And here's what happened along this way. He planted churches here. And he baptized people here. And he encouraged people here. And he preached the gospel for the very first time over here. Along the way, Paul was doing everything he could to take the gospel, the thing he was once opposed to. Right now, God has opened his eyes, given him new perspective, and he's taken it all around the world as he knows it. But let's maybe just focus in on one instance, because here's the deal. When Paul takes the gospel everywhere, here's what the gospel does. The gospel changes the very culture to which he takes it. And we see that really clearly here in Ephesus. In Acts chapter 19, Paul ends up in Ephesus. He's there for about three years, okay? He settles there for a little bit, and he starts preaching and teaching and doing all of this good work. And God's using him in mighty ways, in ways that people start turning to Christ left and right. The movement of the church is like this, this, this fast-spreading virus that no one can stop, so much so that it starts to radically change the way that people live. I want to give you this example, okay? It's in Acts chapter 19. The people, it says this, are, co are coming to know Jesus. Many also are those who had believed kept coming. People were coming to know who God was, confessing and closing their practice. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. And so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Paul said, I'm going to take the gospel. God called me. Spirit told me. 
I listened now. He wanted me to unleash love. And he told me, take the gospel everywhere. And as he did, he started to see culture change. And he comes to this place in Ephesus, and they're worshiping all sorts of stuff other than the one true living God, including a bunch of self-help. You can kind of picture, like, the, the magic books they brought. Uh, we're not talking about, like, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, like, wand sort of stuff, okay? We're talking about, like, modern day, might frame it up more, like, self-help books. They've got all these self-help books. They've got the Oprah and the, the Dr. Phil books, right? And they're bringing them, and they're just like, man, I found Jesus, and I don't need this stuff anymore. And they just start burning it. Like, all that old garbage that was trying to tell me how to live life, it's not necessary. It's irrelevant. The only thing that matters is how Christ calls me to live life. And so let's just burn it. And they're like, hey, let's, let's tally up. What did we just burn? Like, how much was all that worth? And they, they, do the, they pull the calculator out, and they slide the things or whatever they did, right? And they end up saying, you know what? In our dollars, it's about $6 million of self-help books, of the old way of living. You know what I would have done? eBay, Facebook Marketplace, like that would have been my first instinct. But when the gospel grabs a hold of them, they say, no, there's no other choice. Just burn it. Get it out of here. God has got a hold of our lives and we want to live for him. So that old way of life, we've just got to get rid of it. You know, Ephesus, it was a a center for for pagan worship, in particular the god Artemis. And what would happen is uh, people, they'd have businesses where they constructed idols of Artemis. Like that was their job, right? That they'd take silver and melt it down and create this little, something for people to worship. And you want to see a good example of how the gospel changes culture? Well, in Ephesus, all these people whose livelihood is based on the making of idols, well, they start to get worried. Because the gospel is spreading so fast and people are dumping their self-help books on the fire. They're taking their idols and they're discarding them because they're realizing the only thing worth worth worshiping in this world and this life is the one true living God who has unleashed love on us. So all these local business owners start to get concerned. Like our our livelihood is at stake, right? Like we we are in the idol-making business and people no longer want idols. And Demetrius, a silversmith who made his living this way, he actually uh, brings attention to this in Acts chapter 19. He says, and you see and hear this fellow Paul? Like he's convinced and led astray a large number of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. Holy cow. Guys, Paul was the guy saying, no, no, stop the gospel. My job is to crush this movement. And then God got a hold of him. He gave his life to Christ. His perspective changed, and he started to have compassion and care about people who at one time he could care less about. And he takes the gospel here, and he takes the gospel there, and then he takes the gospel everywhere, and now practically the whole province of Asia is responding. Wow. God called him. The Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work I have for them to do. And Paul took the Spirit's prompting seriously. And I hope, if nothing else, you'll see today that Paul's missionary journey to us is just a beautiful example. Once in opposition to the church, he encounters Christ and his eyes are open. And he sees this world that is lost and far from Jesus. And he makes it his life's mission to ensure that more and more people know about Jesus. And it turns out this is like the warning Jesus gives us. 
when you come to know Jesus, you're, you're going to have compassion. You're going to see the world differently than you did before. Have you ever seen one of these videos of uh, someone who's, who's colorblind? And they, they make these glasses that if you're colorblind, you can put them on, and all of a sudden you can see in color. And it's just this radically different perspective of the world. Here's a video I want you to check out of two brothers who are colorblind who see in color, uh, full color for the first time. Check this out. Towel is lying to you. That's going to really explode. Close your eyes and then open them. Look at the towel and dad. <laughs> what do you see? Tell us. What do you think, Jeff? Oh, he is a lie. They're both colorblind. Jimmy, tell us what you see. <laughs> so bright. It is bright. So check it out. You said if you wear them, it's so different. It'll train your brain. It's so different. It's so different. You know what Jesus tells us is when we see through his eyes, we put on those glasses that we'll see like he sees. And he shows us in Matthew 9 how he sees. He says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like, they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he tells his disciples, man, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers refuse, so get to work. Go unleash love. When we see through the lens of Christ, we have compassion here, there, and everywhere for people who are nothing like us and then the people who are just like us. It opens our perspective and gives us compassion in a way that we see that the world is like sheep without a shepherd who just need to know and experience the love of Christ. We need those kind of glasses. We need to see through that kind of lens. And so friends, let me ask you the question one more time. How is God calling you to unleash love here, there, and everywhere? We all have neighborhoods and workplaces things that we can do to be on mission every single day. But I think God is calling us to have skin in the game in all three areas. After all, he doesn't say to his disciples, hey, uh, go here, there, or everywhere. No, he says, go to the ends of the earth. All of us have that call. And so how are you going to do it? How is the Lord prompting you today to go everywhere? For some of us, it's as simple but as meaningful as saying, you know what? I'm going to continue to practice radical generosity in and through my local church because as we're going to show here in just a minute, the local church is having a big impact everywhere. We're going to celebrate that a little bit. Some of us may say, we're just going to keep going. For some, like, hey, I need to go on my first short-term mission trip. I went to Puerto Rico this year. I want to show you a quick picture of my team here. A lot of these people uh, were brand new. They've never been on a mission trip before ever. It was really fun. We had 17 years old all the way up to 72-year-old. And like John, my buddy who's 72, he's like super old, okay? If he can do it, anyone can. Like no joke, 72 years old. 
And on the last night, we're sitting there having dinner, and John raises his hand. He says, hey, can I, can I tell you my, my biggest regret of this trip? It's like, oh, great. Here we go. Ruin the trip for everybody, John, right? And he goes, no, 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 no. no seriously, the biggest regret of this trip for me is the fact that I'm 72 years old, and it's the first time I've done a mission trip. Don't let 72 years go by before you go and experience how God wants you to unleash his love everywhere, friends. Maybe you need to sponsor a missionary. Say, you know what, above and beyond my normal tithe, I'm going to be generous, and I'm going to resource the ministry that somebody's doing somewhere in the world. Maybe you need to sponsor a child who doesn't have access to basic health care and education. Maybe God is calling you into the mission field, and you're, you're sitting, whoa, hey, I didn't say that. Well, here's a question for you. Have you asked? What might the Spirit say? And then are you willing to do something about it? What's your perspective? How is God calling you to unleash love? And I've got some good news, okay? Because over the past two years, we said we're going to unleash love here, there, and everywhere. And what I'd like to do now is just take a minute. Let's celebrate some of what God's been doing over the past two years in the everywhere category. Can we do that? Oh, good. You're excited. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, let's do that. All right. So, um, I really hope Bel Air, Edgewood, or Abingdon are more excited about this than Mountain Road. Okay, we're going to get into this. Here's the deal. Uh, we're going to do a little friendly competition. In all of our campuses, there's this little meter in the back with a dial, and it says how loud the room is, okay? Uh, and so we're going to celebrate some of what God's been doing everywhere, and we're going to see which campus can get the loudest. And here's the deal. Whichever campus gets the loudest, you come back next week, I'm going to give you a free T-shirt. All right? <laughs> I promise that my word is my bond. Here we go. Let's celebrate some of what God's been doing everywhere through our Unleashed Love initiative over the past two years. Uh, the first thing is we sent a team to hike Mount Kilimanjaro, and that team raised $125,000 that is going to send 35 co- students to college. Yeah. All right. Check this out. Over the past two years, 329 mountain people have gone on a short-term mission trip. And let, before, you, before you applaud, I know you want to, right? Hang on to it for just one second. That equates to $328,000 in donations from individuals, friends, and family to those people to activate and resource the work that they've been doing all around the world, including unreached portions of Southeast Asia. How awesome is that? Yeah. I want to show you a little glimpse of some of the missionaries that have left from Mountain over the last 20 years, okay? These are people just over the past 20 years who have gone. But let's take a look at who has been sent to long-term mission work just over the last two years. Look at the size of that list. People who have said, you know, I'm going to leave the comfort of my home and my family, and I'm going to go. And some have gone for a minute and come back to Antioch and are resting up, and some are still abroad doing hard work. How great is that? Yeah. All right, this, y'all, you better get ready, okay? This next one, uh, you ready? Here we go. Over the last two years, the generosity of mountain people has sponsored 1,670 kids abroad internationally. How great is that? That means total as a church... We're sponsoring just over 3,000 kids who now have access to basic health care and education and resources like simple things like food that we take for granted. Now, you do the math on that, 
3,000 kids every year, that's $1.4 million that mountain people are sending straight to organizations who are taking care of these kids all around the world. Yeah. Now let's, let's talk about planting some churches. You know, we're, we're an Antioch church. We're a sending church. We want to plant churches. We want to resource the ministry that's happening all around the world. Over the past two years, our friends with Mohi and CMF in Kenya have planted 32 churches equating to 1,983 new believers in baptism. You want to really be wild? Get ready. You ready? I'm so excited to tell you. Here we go, okay? Over the last two years, through our partnership with Central India Christian Mission, they've gotten to plant 250 brand new churches, okay? But hang on, hang on. I know you're like, yeah, woo, let's go. Wait for it. How many baptisms? 20,000 baptisms. Yeah. Dr. Uh, Ajay Law, who's the leader of CICM, he said, you know, uh, a few years ago, India was 2% Christian, and now it's 8% Christian. In a, in a society of 1.2 billion people in that country, man, you can tell the gospel is on the move, and it is changing culture. Friends, God is unleashing love in amazing ways. And we sit here and we celebrate it because we're celebrating God, right? He says and acts like, you are my church. Go and do it. Do it. But as you do it, point the glory where it belongs. And we give all praise to God for what he's done. And we're saying, yeah, just as God has been on the move and working over these past two years, so let's track back all the way to 1824 when we were born as a church, right, here at Mountain. He's got more in store for us to do. So let's finish, let's finish strong. We've been talking about in 2016 when we launched the Unleashed Love Initiative. God blessed us with one of the most generous December end-of-year givings ever. And it activated and got us started in doing all of this good work that we've gotten to celebrate over the past couple of weeks. We're saying, you know what? He ain't done yet. He's not done yet. Let's finish like we started to the tune of about $1.7 million as we come to the end of the year. And with it, we're going to continue to do amazing work, resourcing ministry all around the world, but particularly in three ways that we want to highlight in the here, there, and everywhere category. The first one is the here. Okay, we want to finish our kids' space. We've been wanting to do this kids' refresh, and I'm over at the Abingdon campus, and since we were building from the ground up, we said, you know what, let's just do it now. And we were able to finish it, and we see families who walk in every single week, and the kids' eyes just light up. Like, oh, this is for me. And they know it's for them, and they can't help but want to be a part of it. And families are saying, hey, thank you so much for caring for my kids. And we want to finish that good work at Edgewood and Bel Air and Mountain Road. And it's going to take some funds to do it. We've got some work to do with our online service, which is this really unique, fun, new tool to reach hundreds and hundreds and soon to be thousands of people. We need to invest in the technology that's going to allow us to speak directly to the online community, helping them to take steps towards physical community, being a part of God's church, their next steps with Christ. And then the everywhere category, we want to continue partnering with and funding a portion of what it takes for our good friends, Pat and Katie Gerber, to take the message everywhere all the way to Kenya. And it just so happens that Pat is here, and I'd love just to take a few minutes I'd love to celebrate a little bit of what he's doing. Will you join me in welcoming our friend Pat? 
Pat, welcome. Good to see you, brother. Wow, thanks. Thanks, everybody. It's good yeah, to be here. It's good to be together. Pat, things um, have changed a little bit since you were here a couple years yeah. ago. There's a lot of new people connected to the mountain community. Uh, we launched this uh, new campus, this small, little, beautiful, yeah. amazing baby. It's like a toddler now. It's yeah, really making yeah. a mess yeah. of everything. Named Abingdon. Okay. Uh, and so there's a lot of new folks around here that maybe don't know you or your history with mountains. So really quickly, fill us in. Give us the quick recap of your history with mountain. Okay. So uh, we came in 2010, my wife and daughter and I, as a, a package deal uh, in, in 2010. So uh, my wife's a children's pastor, and uh, there was a need here at the Mountain Road campus for a children's pastor. And then uh, as Mountain started talking about Edgewood, uh, we really, were really excited because we lived in Edgewood, and so she became the Edgewood uh, children's pastor. And then I've always been in multimedia, and so they needed somebody to kind of coordinate all the, the graphics and the videos that are being created here, and uh, so I did that, as well as training some of the worship production tech, the people running cameras and in the booth and things like that. So that's what we did. We were here for six years, and uh, so Mountain's Church Home. That's awesome. So you had a, a good, long, fruitful ministry here at Mountain, and then uh, one day uh, the Spirit kind of led you somewhere else, and uh, we had the opportunity uh, to help be a part of that, to send you all. It was in uh, a... Uh, December end of year giving that we were able to send you uh, to Kenya and that's pretty far from here it's a different place uh, it's not just like down the street it's across the pond uh, tell us about the discernment process how did you get there so uh, we were kind of actually going through a, a kind of a difficult time and uh, we set aside a day to pray about it and when that day came we actually didn't even get to the let's sit down and pray about it God just told us Kenya and we were pretty shocked because that was not what we thought we had no idea but uh, we had been there before uh, multiple times and loved uh, the people there. And so it just made sense. It, it, it brought clarity to our future. We could see ourselves like, oh, yeah. And then it also just made sense out of our past. Like the things that have happened in our lives up till now, both good and bad, uh, we felt like they made sense. Oh, God was preparing us for Kenya. And uh, so we instantly said yes, told folks in our small group um, that night, hey, we're moving to Kenya. And uh, in fact, and then took it to Ben and, and some leaders at CMF, the missions organization, and everybody seemed to be in agreement that that seemed like what God was calling us to do. Okay, so the spirit prompted and kind of without hesitation, just like Paul, you said yes, and maybe a little hesitation. All right, but now you're there, you're doing good work. Um, like I said, our, our end of year giving a couple years ago, uh, we had the opportunity to kind of bless you and send you and fund a portion of what you all are doing. Uh, so tell us, what, what is the work? What roles do you play? What are you doing there in Kenya? Well, first of all, I just want to thank you guys for, for that uh, large offering that happened. Um, that We weren't, didn't have enough monthly support coming in, and so, but we really wanted to get Hannah there in time for middle school. Middle school's an important time. We wanted her to get there day one, and so that allowed us to go uh, that early and, uh, and, and be there all this time. So thank you very much to everybody who did that. And there's also a lot of people here that uh, support us monthly, so thank you so much. Uh, what I do is I work in Missions of Hope International, or MOHIS, uh, communications department. So I do a lot of photography, video, social media, uh, just telling the story of what God's doing uh, amongst the people in Kenya, amongst Moi, to all of our partners. We have about 70 church partners like Mountain around the country and around the world. And so we get them the stories to tell those stories. So um, and then also just uh, help them with some technology needs to advance their technology usage. And then actually starting when I go back in January, we had a new project to take computers into 
all of our 23 schools uh, so that our kids can have the uh, computer skills to get into a really tough job market and uh, succeed and get the good job. So we're real excited about that. That's awesome. So that's what you do. Give us that's a quick glimpse of what Katie does. So Katie works in the spiritual department. She's so over. Hang on. What does that say about you? Uh, she's more spiritual. Okay, that's what I thought. Right. Just want to make sure we got that clear. All right, that's clear. Everybody knows that. Um, so <laughs> she uh, she works uh, focuses on the kids uh, up through eighth grade, probably ten thousand or twelve thousand kids. Uh, she's writing their daily devotions that they do in school. Uh, she also helps with VBSs that churches like Mountain will send uh, teams to do a VBS at one of our schools and bless our kids that way. And about 35 came this year, and so she coordinates all the logistics from the American side, planning it ahead of time, to the Kenyan side, the logistics of the Kenyans that are actually going to do it with them. And then she also works with the local Kenyan churches. Uh, They're Sunday school uh, teachers. She'll uh, do trainings for them, to uh, ways to teach the Bible more creatively uh, for the Very kids. Cool. So that's what we do. Awesome. So that's a little bit of what you do. We've been uh, sharing some stories of how God's been working um, Give us a quick glimpse. How has God used you to unleash his love there in Kenya and the everywhere that you're at? Okay. Well, um, it's really a, a really a blessing for me personally to be able to see this rich history of partnership between CMF, the missions organization, uh, Mountain, and uh, Missions of Hope in Kenya because those are my three employers since I graduated from college. And God's been working through them together. Back in 2007, long before Ben was my boss, I was working for CMF, and this crazy pastor in Maryland was pushing us to create this child sponsorship program. He's still crazy, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So we did. We created this child sponsorship program to bless this ministry in Kenya. And God has been blessing it uh, and went from those couple hundred kids that were sponsored at the beginning here uh, to now other churches all over the country and some around the world are now partnering with us. And uh, this year, starting in January, our new school year starts. We'll probably start with 18,000 students wow. in 23 That's different awesome. schools. God has been blessing this ministry. It's a, a very exciting. Yes, thanks. Uh, we, we spend our time, Katie and I, uh, investing in Kenyans, uh, the Kenyan co-workers that we work with. And uh, because they're the ones that are doing the ministry, they're out in the community and uh, being able to reach more and more people and in our schools. And so that's how we spend our time. In fact, I just heard a story about uh, some of them uh, with Nan- working with Nancy. Nancy is a single mom of three boys in uh, Mathari in the slums. And uh, she had really bad arthritis in her 30s to the point where she couldn't walk around, couldn't leave her house. And she's bedridden. And so obviously couldn't make any money for her kids to eat. And so uh, her three boys just did what happens a lot of times. They just were, had to go out in the streets in the slums, try to find food amongst the trash or whatever. And um, one of the boys, Reuben, got, um, did what, uh, again, which is common. He started sniffing glue as a, a cheap high. And that's just really to cover the, uh, the pain of hunger. And uh, got addicted, of course. And uh, it was just really messing up his life, obviously. And so a Moe social worker, one of our employees, uh, goes into the community, meets his family, and gets the three boys into schools where, our school where they're uh, getting meals and getting fed every day. And then uh, 
Reuben needed some uh, rehab, and so got him into rehab, and he's out, and he's actually in our schools now, doing well, getting much better, and um, his mom, Nancy, uh, the community around them, the Christian community has kind of adopted them, this family, and they're providing meals for them, helping mom out with chores around the house and things, and that's just a beautiful picture of what Missions of Hope International does through partners like you. So if you sponsor a kid through Missions of Hope International, this is what your money is doing is things like this. This is what we're all about. That's awesome, man. It's good. We celebrate uh, what God is doing and through the ministry that that you guys are uh, involved in there. Uh, So as we kind of look towards um, the culmination of Unleashed Love, but also the spirit of this thing is going to keep going, right? It's something that doesn't end. We're called as Christ followers to Unleash Love always. Uh, and we're wrestling down the question of how is God calling us to unleash love here, there, and especially on the everywhere piece. What would you ha- what would you say to us? Well, I just say listen to God um, and say yes, so even in the small things. Of course, the first time I got convicted in a call from God wasn't when I was almost forty to move my family to Africa. It was, I grew up in the church, so it was when I was a kid and I would hear messages or, or read the Bible and I would get convicted that I should do something, usually much smaller as a kid. And I wasn't a saint. I didn't do it all the time. I didn't obey. But the times I did, God uh, blessed me as I, and stepped up into the situation and blessed me as I was trying to bless others. And if you keep doing that, and even in the small things, you see some need and you meet it and God shows up in it and blesses you, gives you amazing opportunities uh, it becomes that much easier to just say in confidence, yes, I'll, I'll go do it. So then the time when God says, I need you to do something big, it's then easy and in confidence to say yes. So it may not be today that God's calling you to move to Africa. If it is, let's talk. Uh, but if uh, maybe it's you know to talk to that difficult person or that person that's so different from you, or maybe somebody going through something uh, difficult that God has already brought you through, and so you have some expertise to kind of share with what God has done with you. Or maybe it's to radically transform the life of a kid in Kenya through child sponsorship, or to go on a trip to Kenya and just let God rock your world and see who he is through uh, a, a ministry he's blessing in a completely different culture. I think missions trips do, do that and help, uh, help form our relationship with God. So I would just say, listen, uh, even in the small things, say yes, so that when God asks you to start that ministry or to uh, adopt a kid or to move your family to Africa, then it's easy in confidence to say yes. So I'd say, listen, uh, say yes, and go. Awesome. Well, thanks, brother. We appreciate you. Right, Mountain, let's, uh, let's unleash some love, all right? How are you? Yeah. How is God calling you to unleash love here, there, and everywhere? Do you, do you have the glasses on? Do you have the perspective of Christ? Or do you have compassion on the sheep uh, who don't have a shepherd? Let's go unleash some love. Pat, let me pray for you, brother. Uh, God, thank you for today, for the chance to worship together, uh, to be here with Pat, and to hear about the ministry that Pat and Katie and, and Hannah are doing in Kenya. Uh, God, we celebrate a lot today, all the ways that you've been using the generosity of mountain people to advance the mission everywhere. And God, we just ask that you continue to do that good work through the Gerbers and through each and every single one of us. God, plant in us a seed of compassion, of love for those who are lost, who don't know you. God, here, there, and everywhere. Help us to know what our next step is in the journey of unleashing love. 
Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. Thanks for unleashing it so that we have it, so that then we can in turn share it with the world. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right.